Let's go. It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, 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 can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Ahead, Ingles finds Gobert at the rim. One second left in the quarter for a slam dunk. Conley rolling, lobbing, Gobert dunking. Clarkson driving on Cunningham in the lane. Puts up a right-hander off the back rim. Bounces three times, no good. Gobert clears it, lays it up and in. Here's the snap, feed the ball. The play action makes down. So the caught ball, easy touchdown. Easy touchdown, Gronkowski. Execute the play action fake. And Brady just dumps one over the middle to a wide open Rob Gronkowski. Joe Burrow is ready. Hopkins snaps it back. Burrow drops back to throw. Looking, rolling out to the right. Still looking downfield. Burrow throws it toward the back yeah. of the end zone. Boy yeah. leaps. He makes the catch. Third down and 20 for the Chiefs. The Steeler 48. DJ Watt for the right shoulder of Mahomes. In the pocket. Step up. Firing down the near side. Kelsey at the 20. 15 to the 10. And into the end zone. Touchdown. Kansas City. Steelers show a four-man defensive front. Trying to build a wall. Now they're going to throw it long. The Chiefs want Tyreek Hill. Over the shoulder. Touchdown. Kansas. City and Mahomes is on fire. Got comes Sam. Allen back to throw. Sets up deep. Has all day long. Takes a look into the end zone. Looking for Sanders. He's got him. Touchdown, Buffalo. Emmanuel Sanders. A 34-yard touchdown catch from Josh Allen. He was wide open. Allen goes shotgun now. Single carry off his right shoulder. Diggs goes in motion to the right. Now the snap. And Josh waiting to throw it. Fires towards the two-yard line. Caught by Gabriel Davis. Scoots into the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo. Again! Welcome into the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope you all are doing great on this Saturday morning. Uh, beautiful weather outside, all things considered. A storm came through yesterday and stirred up the air a little bit, so some of the haze gone. I'm Jay Catch. Thank you for taking some time on this Saturday morning to join us. Our good friend Eric Jensen behind the glass producing for us this morning. Eric, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. That's good. That's what we like to hear. So we got plenty to get to ahead on today's show, but first off, I want to remind you guys that the Saturday show is proudly presented by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC, parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, a little bit of a roadmap where we're going on today's show. We got Utah Jazz to talk about. They get a victory last night over the Detroit Pistons, getting some revenge for the loss they took out there in Detroit just a couple weeks ago. We'll also talk about the NFL, a huge uh, weekend of NFL football. Divisional round playoffs begins this afternoon. Two games today, two games tomorrow. We'll preview that. We'll also get to our some of our staples, technical fouls, five minutes of. 
And we're also going to replay a conversation that David James had with Lincoln Kennedy earlier this week on DJ and PK in the morning. Uh, Lincoln obviously is a great, great football mind. He is an analyst on Las Vegas Raiders radio broadcast, which you actually can hear on the zone. He'll recap the Raiders season, but also preview the divisional round of the playoffs. So you'll be able to hear that conversation. We'll play that at 11 o'clock. So we got plenty to get to ahead on today's show. Eric, I want to ask you a very important question as we kick off today's show, though. What was the highlight of your week? Ooh, the highlight of my week. Because uh-huh. I like to highlight people's weeks on this show. That's what, kind of like one of my goals with this. All right. Well, uh, back to school. Okay. So that I mean that that's kind of a, a little bit of a down note. A little bit of a down note. But uh, let's see here. I um. Oh, this is really bad. Really bad that I don't really have a highlight of my week. I will say the highlight of my week uh-huh. was for transition purposes, uh, watching the Jazz win last night. It was nice okay. to nice to see things get turned around, just even just a little bit. Oh, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And we're going to talk about the Jazz here uh, a lot today. I'm with you on that. It was nice to see them get back to being a little more of what we expect they can be, what they have been this season. Besides the, what was it, six losses in the last seven games, it had been seven of ten since the new year started. It's been kind of a rough month for the Utah Jazz. and We talked about this in December, where this month was going to be a rough one for the Utah Jazz, and so far it has been that. And we're going to talk about a huge week ahead uh, for the Utah Jazz. They're going to face the other top three teams in the Western Conference. The Jazz currently sitting in fourth in the Western Conference. We'll talk more about that and how they're going to face all three of those teams, one of them twice in, in Phoenix here in just a little bit. Uh, Eric obviously is a very bright mind when it comes to NFL stuff. I know you've been tweeting a lot about how many sports you've been watching recently, and it's actually kind of funny for me to, to see your tweets about that because you, you essentially sound like, I'm just, I'm just laying here on my couch. It makes you what you sound like, but I, I know you're not necessarily just doing that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard <laughs> watching. I just came to this realization. The other day, I was like, "Man, I watch sports like every night." Like, well, welcome to our job, dude. Like, it's a lot of work. Like, it never really stops. It doesn't. Like, like it, 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 I'm just drowning in sports. Uh, but you know, this week wasn't quite that. But I watched the Jazz, and you know, a lot of college basketball this week. But okay, uh, no, no. The the more interesting thing is I have a problem when it comes to tweeting. Uh, I tweet a lot. I went through, I, I, I thought I was tweeting less, and I was for a while, but right. then NFL wildcard weekend hit, and uh-huh. um, I'll just get, let you guess. How many tweets, I counted, how many tweets did I send Jeez. between Saturday morning of wildcard weekend and Monday night? Okay, so, so we're encompassing all six games last weekend, yes. is what we're talking about. Okay, wow. Um... 133. A little too high. 116. Still, that's a lot. Close. <laughs> I'm a volume shooter. Not really a quali- not really a quality shooter, but a volume shooter, that's for sure. All right. Qual- quantity over quality is Eric's motto. We I like guess. that. All right. Well, let's kick off the show. Let's talk a little Utah Jazz. Let's get to the NFL. And we start the show as we do each week right here by talking about what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but... 
kind of a big deal. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> That open will never get old. All right, let's talk about the Utah Jazz here for a moment. Uh, big win last night for the Utah Jazz. Get to the 30-win platform. Uh, so last night they beat the Detroit Pistons 111-110. to And I felt like last night's game actually showed us a little bit of progression for this team in the sense that, of course, they snap a three-game home skid. Uh, they haven't been as elite as they typically are at home uh, so far this season. Uh, they also, I felt like, showed that their small ball lineup is continuing to make strides. Of course, the Utah Jazz are still dealing with injury concerns and also COVID-19 issues. Hassan Whiteside missed last night's game. Donovan Mitchell out due to concussion protocol. So, I felt like last night's game was a step in the right direction, and I was actually listening. I don't know how many people actually listen to this. It's one of my favorite uh, parts of David Locke's podcast, Locked on Jazz, is he does what they call postcast, and he does the short-form immediate reaction to the game at hand. So they did one last night, him and Ron Boone, they do it after every Jazz game. I was listening to it on my way in this morning, and Ron Boone had the same thought that I had, so I'll give him credit on this. The thought was that, Sometimes, just sometimes, and this can be true in any sport that you play, whether it's golf, football, tiddlywinks, tennis, whatever it might be, sometimes it's good for you as a competitor to play an opponent or a team who is lesser than, and you can go out and just get a win. You're expected to win that game, you go out and get the win, especially after a stretch where you have been struggling mightily. Just getting that win, seeing your team have success, I think goes a long way to restoring some confidence in that squad. And I thought that's what the Utah Jazz did last night. They restored a lot of confidence in themselves because they have got an absolutely critical stretch of games this coming week, beginning tomorrow night when they are out there in the Bay Area. They'll be in San Francisco to take on the Golden State Warriors uh, coming up later in the week. So Monday night, so Sunday night against Golden State, Monday night back to back, they fly immediately to Phoenix to take on the Suns. The Jazz and the Suns then will come here to Salt Lake City for. For a rematch on Wednesday. And then, oh yes, uh, later in the week you also have the Memphis Grizzlies who are also running currently in the top four of the Western Conference. You've got a huge week ahead, Eric, but we'll talk more, we'll look forward more here in a moment. You mentioned that you felt like it was one of the highlights you were to see the Jazz win last night. What did you feel like was the were the, I guess, the positives coming out of this game for the Jazz? Well, I think when you're a team that has struggles you have to look for your leaders sure and I think the leaders in this game stepped up and that that leader is Rudy Gobert who finished the night with 24 points 14 boards that's a really good night for Rudy he hasn't been having as great numbers going into this game but he stepped it up and he kind of helped stabilize the ship as well you know Boyan did a solid job providing good offense, which he's done really well throughout this stretch where they've been missing key players here and there for, it seems like, the last three weeks at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, 23 points for him. So I was impressed by that. I I thought that, you know, the leaders and the, the people on the team who are expected to score points when guys like Donovan Mitchell are out of the lineup and injured, did so. Oh, I, I would completely agree with that. I, I felt like one of the most pivotal plays late in that game was uh, a play where 
I'm trying to remember the exact scenario. So Jordan Clarkson, I believe, flies in for a rebound, dribbles out, and he's he's going to go back out and reset the offense. It was what it appeared like. And then he sees, I think it was Rodney Magruder was hit, was guarding him, and Rodney Magruder overplayed uh, him as he retreated out to the three-point line. Well, I felt like Jordan Clarkson realized that, and I felt like I watched it. He realized that Magruder overplayed his hand on that. He whirls back into the lane, goes up, and scores a bucket. I felt like the in some ways sealed that win for the Jazz. And I thought that was as kind of back to your point here, Eric. Is yes, Donovan Mitchell, who is the leading scorer for this team, he is kind of the metronome that makes this team go. But he's out due to concussion protocols currently, and they had other guys step up in his absence. Boyan Bogdanovich, I thought, played a pretty big role in this. Jordan Clarkson stepped up. Uh, Rudy Gobert had a, had a season high twenty four points in this game. So you're right. People who needed to step up in the absence of Donovan Mitchell did exactly that, and it was just nice to see them get out there, beat a team they should beat. They should have beat the Pistons in Detroit. Was I don't know how many games ago that that game was. It wasn't too long ago. They should have beat Detroit out there. And Detroit gave the Jazz everything they could handle, but I felt like the Jazz said, you know what, we are not about to lose this game. Let's just handle our business, and we move on now. There's still issues. Sure. Yeah. You absolutely. Know, we gotta get healthy first off. They they do have to get healthy, but um, I, I wanted to ask you okay. because I know you watch a lot, you know, closer than I do. If you had to pinpoint over these six of seven losses, what what is the issue for this Jazz team? And this this game was at one point a, a Pistons lead. They, yes. they led in the second half at one point. They went on a 13-4 run to start the third quarter. They'd been down, uh, I believe they were down 8 or 9 at the half, and they took a lead in the right. second half. And they and they made that third quarter, they made the Jazz sweat. They made the Jazz work for it, because in some ways, the Jazz came out in that third quarter like, alright, these guys are going to roll over. They didn't roll over. And they forced the Jazz to go out and beat them, and the Jazz, to their credit, did that. Alright, continue. Well, n- no, I just okay. wonder what you think the, what, what, what you think the major issue is other than health. Well, so the biggest thing, a lot, that, of, yeah. a lot of teams aren't healthy. Yeah, the biggest thing right now for the Utah Jazz is their defense, the, operating as a unit. The Utah Jazz defense, and Quinn Snyder goes to this time and time again. You can ask him any question, and I, I'm a broken record on this, and it's something I learned from DJ, and I've listened to enough postgame <laughs> press conferences from Quinn Snyder that I, I've noticed it myself. You can ask him anything about offense. You can ask him. Your offense was great tonight. You know what he's going to point back to? Defense. His team and this Utah Jazz squad have prided themselves on defense since he arrived here in Utah nine years ago now, eight years ago. I don't know how long the Quinn Snyder tenure has been, but it's been it's been a hot minute. He won his 200th game, uh, 200th home game as Utah Jazz head coach last night. So congratulations to him on that milestone. But he has pointed time and time again to defense. And the biggest issue for the Jazz is that as a team, they have not defended together as a unit as you would have expected and hoped for in this most recent stretch. So now I believe it's uh, so it's eight losses in their last 11 games, I believe since the new year began after last night. Or, I think I did the math right. Don't, don't do math on air. That's one thing to learn, Eric. DJ taught me that as well. Don't do math on air. So. <laughs> but anyways, the defense has not been there. And we saw some public sniping going on in in press conferences, Rudy Gobert calling his teammates uh, asking for more perimeter uh, defense. And the biggest thing about defense is there's two things that I have noticed that are required. And my playing experience in basketball does not go beyond the high school level. I, I've played in church leagues, rec leagues, beyond high school, but that's not high level hoop. But I've watched enough, and there are two things that go into defense, especially at the NBA level, that 
some guys are willing to do. A guy like Rudy Gobert, he does this every night. Two things. Effort and desire. You have to want to be good at playing defense. You have to want to be a good def- good defender. And also requires effort and energy. You have to expend a lot of energy to be an elite defensive player on the other end of the court. Another guy on the Jazz I feel like buys into this because it's how he has earned his spot in the NBA, earned his spot with the Utah Jazz, is Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal takes pride in defending the other team's leading scorer or best player. So last night uh, with the Detroit Pistons, it was Cade Cunningham. And Cade Cunningham cooked the Utah Jazz when they played in Detroit just a couple weeks ago. Uh, There's 24 points in that game, and he was unstoppable in that second half. And Royce O'Neal struggled mightily in that game. Last night, Cade Cunningham did get his. I believe it was 25 points for him in that loss. Yeah, he led the Pistons with 25 points in the loss. But I felt like the defensive effort from Royce O'Neal on Cade Cunningham when he was on him was much better. So I think the biggest thing right now is if you want to point to one thing, it's been about the defense. I felt like the defense was better last night. I thought they were more cohesive as a unit. Guys on the perimeter were literally, not literally, they were they were doing their best to stop the guy in front of them. There have been some games in this stretch where the Utah Jazz, that Perimeter defense is a uh, ole and Rudy Gobert clean up my mess behind me. Rudy is happy to do that, but he also at the same time he gets pulled out of position and you're expecting him to recover to that spot. You're asking a whole lot of the best defensive player in the world. Yeah, and also as as many stats as people want to throw out there, like mm-hmm. Rudy is just objectively not a good perimeter defender. He like, okay and. Objectively, okay, I get what you're saying. He's actually better than you would expect, though, at the same time. Right, but is he, though? Because that's what they what happened in the playoffs last year. I just I don't understand that argument that people like David Locke make where they point at these perimeter defensive stats for Rudy Gobert, but when he gets pulled out of position in the playoffs to go play guys like Terrence Mann coming off to the wing like he 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 is at a clear disadvantage and like when you watch him go out and defend the perimeter he's at a clear disadvantage I think because of his length to be honest well, with you well he's 7 foot 1 right and so the thing is you expect Rudy Gobert to be worse on the perimeter than he is I, I'm not saying that he's a good perimeter defender I, I'm not going to I'm not going to say he's, but he is better than you would expect. Okay, and I and a lot of people like to point back to the Clippers series last year. We need to flip over to the NFL. Last thing on this, uh, with the perimeter defense for the Clippers series, I feel like Quinn Snyder and his staff learned some things that they have literally and figuratively tried to implement in this year's team. And some of the things have flopped. Other things I think are starting to take hold. The biggest thing you're seeing. Eric Paschal, you're seeing Rudy Gay playing that f- small ball five out off five, five out offense five out defense where it's a completely switching defense. That's the one thing last night. I I, I forgot, forgot to bring this up on the defensive end last night when Rudy Gay and or Eric Paschal were playing that five. So when Rudy Gobert went out of the lineup when he was on the bench getting his rest, they went to that five out lineup and they switched everything. That is a defense that I cannot recall the Utah Jazz having played in the entirety of. Quinn Snyder's tenure as head coach of the Utah Jazz. It is something that teams like the Golden State Warriors last year with the Los Angeles Clippers against the Utah Jazz in the second round of the NBA playoffs have used to great effect against the Utah Jazz and to great effect across the league. It is something I think Quinn Snyder noticed, the front office noticed it, and they 
went about putting together a roster that was capable of playing in that style. Is it to the level that the Warriors and or the Clippers, when they're at full strength, are capable of playing? No, it is not. It may never get to that level, but if it can be a serviceable lineup, and in the case you're bringing up here, Eric, where Terrence Mann is cooking you and pulling Rudy Gobert out to the perimeter and it's causing all kinds of issues for the Jazz defense, they in theory, should be able to switch to this lineup, this five-out lineup, this this small ball lineup, and be able to go and go toe-to-toe with those teams and be able to go back and forth with those teams. That is the hope. And I think they learned some things from last year's playoff failures that they have implemented on this year's team, implemented into this year's roster. So hopefully we never see that again. I would agree with that. They I, I I you know, I that was something I think I brought up last time I was on here was I really enjoyed Eric Pascal's defense. So I, I, I think that makes sense. And Eric Pascal last night only played I think fifteen minutes. I'm pulling it up here. Uh sixteen minutes in the game. He was one of three from the field, three points. But I feel like Pascal, he has got a ton of energy. And there are a lot of fans out there who have been crowing and crowing and crowing on social media. Why isn't Eric Eric Pascal getting more minutes? Eric Paschal understands his role on this team. He does bring energy. He is actually a lot better than I think almost anybody would have expected joining this roster. And I think he has worked his way into being a rotation player. But as Quinn Snyder has acknowledged multiple times, and he acknowledged it yesterday, it's hard to play 10 or 11 guys in the NBA and expect to have the continuity, the success, the overall uh, just... Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's hard to play that many guys and expect everybody to be hunky-dory with it and at the same time have the continuity and the overall effectiveness on your roster. Quinn Snyder, in his run as a head coach, rarely has played more than 10 guys in a rotation. He likes to keep it to 8 or 9 guys. That's his rotation. That's kind of his core unit. And I've seen people saying, well, Rudy Gay's not playing as well as he should be, so put Eric Paschal in there. They actually used both of them last night. They had to. Trent Forrest, well, why are they not giving Eric, uh, Trent, Trent Forrest minutes to Eric Paschal? Trent Forrest is on the court for one specific reason, folks. It is to spell a guy like Mike Conley and spare his hamstrings all of the abuse they took last year, which, by the way, was a huge component in the fact that they lost in the second round of the playoffs last year. I really actually admire what Quinn Snyder and this front office with the Utah Jazz have tried to do because they have tried to revamp this roster to make sure guys like Mike Conley are 100% come playoff time, but at the same time, getting effective play from guys when they are called upon, in this case, Eric Paschal, that they come in and have an impact. It's fun to see Eric Paschal, plus 15 in the plus minus, and I know that the plus minus is not the end-all be-all with hoops, but... He had an impact last night, and that was a positive sign. All right. That is the siren to flip over, uh, but we are up against it here. So, Eric, we're going to take a timeout. We'll come back. We're going to talk about the NFL Divisional Playoffs here and what's the big deal. We'll get to it on the other side. want to remind you guys that Valentine's Day is just weeks away, and Jimmy's Flowers can make it easier with their two dozen roast special for just $49.99 or the Simply Elegant base for $44.95. Order today at jimmysflowers.com or visit their stores in Bountiful, Layton, or Ogden. That's our friends at Jimmy's Flowers. All right, we will flip over and talk a little bit about the divisional round of the NFL Playoffs here in a moment. This is the Saturday Show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Cougars and Aggies, even on the weekend. Weekend! You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome. 
Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Thanks for joining us. Jay Catch, Eric Jensen along for the ride on this Saturday morning. Hope you all are doing great out there. The sun is shining here along the Wasatch Front, but wherever you guys might be, hope you all are doing great. Whatever you might be doing here on this Saturday, whether it's the honey-do list, you're out and about just driving around, or if you're just kicking back on a Saturday morning, thank you for tuning in. All right. I uh, meant to get to this in the first segment, because what's the big deal? We usually like to hit on two of the major topics, or the two major topics of the show, but a little extended uh, talk on the Utah Jazz there, so let's flip over now and talk a little bit about the NFL Divisional Round of the Playoffs uh, that will begin this afternoon. We've got two games today, two games tomorrow, and... I am very excited for these matchups. I'm actually looking at the the matchups across the board. I think it is going to be a phenomenal weekend of football. And that's what I'm sincerely hoping for, at least. Uh, we're going to kick things off this afternoon with the Cincinnati Bengals taking on the number one seed in the AFC, the Tennessee Titans, who Derrick Henry is back for. He has not played since uh, week eight. So let's start there, Eric. What should the expectation be if you're a Titans fan for Henry's return after missing half of the, actually I guess more than half of the season at this point? What should they expect from him going into this matchup against Cincinnati? Well, he has a metal plate in his foot. I mean, you've, you've been listening to David James, apparently. So uh, <laughs> he said he's like, yeah, I got a metal plate in my foot. It's like that doesn't sound pleasant, but hey, yeah, he's he's got a metal plate in his foot, but Derek. Henry is just one of the toughest like players yeah. in the NFL of just the way he plays. So I kind of don't see that being an issue for him uh, and more overblown. If anybody could run for like 130 yards and two touchdowns with a steel plate in his foot, it's probably Derrick Henry. There are few people in this world, and I, I'd probably be with you on that. Um so I, I would not be too worried about that. I think if he feels like he's ready to play, I think he'll be ready to play. Okay, so here, here's my thing, though. I, okay, Ryan Tannehill is a serviceable quarterback. And i got to give full credit to the entire brain trust of the Tennessee Titans for them holding things together when Derrick Henry went out due to injury and winning that number one seed. That, that was an impressive impressive display of holding your team together when they easily could have just fallen apart. I'm just not a believer in Ryan Tannehill in the playoffs here, and if I'm a Tennessee Titans fan, I'm terrified that Tennessee is going to sell out to stop that run game and force Ryan Tannehill to beat you with his arm, and in that case, I go advantage Cincinnati. I kind of disagree on that. Okay. Because we've seen Ryan Tannehill win with his arm in the playoffs before on several other deep Titans playoff runs. Like, yes, the running game and ball possession is the main factor in the Tennessee Titans offense. But Ryan Tannehill is a guy where if you give weapons around him, he will be able to make plays. And I think they've found weapons down the stretch. A.J. Brown is an incredible wide receiver and has played really well after he's gotten healthy here down the stretch, Anthony Ferkser has become a major part of the passing game. They're tight sure, end. Yeah. Uh, you look at Julio. Julio gave them his best game of the year to end the season. Now, Julio's a big question mark. He's been largely terrible throughout the entire year. But if you can get two or three good Julio Jones plays, that gives you another weapons. Add that with the fact that They've got depth in the backfield now that they can use 
pa- for pass catching stuff be- because of the Derrick Henry injury. You're not wrong that Joe Burrow is the better quarterback mm-hmm. in in the matchup, but Ryan Tannehill has shown time and again that he is a perfectly capable top ten adjacent NFL quarterback. You think he's a top ten NFL quarterback? Absolutely. Most oh. analysts across, if, and that's the consensus amongst most analysts. I guess if that's just at, that's my personal opinion on if this. If you look at quarterback rankings and people who do that like Greg Rosenthal and Benjamin Solak like mm-hmm. they consistently have Ryan Tannehill ranked from 11th to 13th in okay. the NFL like he is he is there he is in he is a better passer like if you're we're, we're talking about the tiers of quarterbacks he's not in your top tier of quarterbacks like a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes or a Tom Brady but he's above guys like Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr, in my opinion. He's better than Jimmy Garoppolo, who we're going to talk about here in a minute. <laughs> he is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, but, okay, I get what you're saying. I just I feel like Cincinnati's got something cooking here. And they got over the hump finally last week, the first playoff win in 31 years. There's not been a text message sent that in history that had the Cincinnati Bengals having won a playoff game. That was a legit thing going into last week's game. I've Man... It feels like it just feels like to me that Cincinnati has a real upset potential in this game to me, and that's just my personal opinion. Let's flip over to the other game here and talk about the other game tonight. Uh, that would be the San Francisco 49ers heading to Lambeau to take on the number one seed in the NFC. That'd be the Green Bay Packers. And Eric, uh, I don't think it's any secret that I am a San Francisco 49ers fan. If if I'm breaking news to anybody listening to the show, yes, I am a died in the wool through and through 49ers fan the 49ers against uh Aaron Rodgers are 3-0 and in the playoffs in his career yeah you know that's the one thing I keep thinking about but that's, that's a my mind just keeps flashing back to San Francisco running all over him in the conference championship game like two years ago they did it and they did and there is a history between these two and the funny thing about the, as a 49ers fan I saw, I saw the 49ers play the Dallas Cowboys last week in one of the just most weird, stupid games I've ever watched, at least in recent memory. And as a kid who grew up in the 90s watching the Niners, the Cowboys, and now the Packers, they were like the triumvirate that kept beating up on each other in the 90s. I'm being thrown back to that era right now because they played the Cowboys last week, speaking of San Francisco. Now they're headed to Lambeau to take on the Packers. Green Bay, and I, I feel like... in. Let me let me know your thought on this, Eric. I feel like when the when the wild card round plays out, and in this case this year we had an extra team, so only the top seeds got the buy this year. So the Tennessee and Green Bay got the got the buy, and I feel like when they're out of sight, out of mind, when they get that buy, we kind of forget about how good both of these teams were. And maybe that's going into my thought about why I think Cincinnati can beat Tennessee. But as a 49ers fan who is just waiting for this to implode. Green Bay has been so good all year long. I just don't see a way for the 49ers to win this game outside of them doing what you talked about a couple, was it two or three years ago? I probably should have looked that up, where they ran all over them. The 49ers' run game is going to have to be dominant to win this game. Because you put this on the arm of Jimmy Garoppolo, we saw last week how quickly quickly it can go south on you. Not going to go well for you. (laughs) Uh, I think... I'm more optimistic about the closeness of this game than you are. Okay. I just feel like 
one rest first rust is a stupid sports radio debate but one that i kind of believe in and the packers the last time they played against the lions in the first half their starters didn't look the greatest. They sure. looked like they didn't really want to be there. Now, well, granted, they probably didn't want to be that, there. That's, that's week 18. But I think that there's a real chance that San Francisco just comes out and Kyle Shanahan has an unreal game script and they punch him in the mouth twice, have two long possession running drives, somehow get a stop against Aaron Rodgers, and then suddenly you're in a 10-point deficit early. I could see that happening. Okay. Now, here's the part where I think the Packers will win. I think a, a, a really unreported part of this matchup is, like, the San Francisco Niners, San Francisco 49ers, pardon me, they they do not really have cornerbacks. They don't. Like they don't like who who's gonna cover Devontae Adams in this game? Um it's gonna be like, like Emmanuel Mosley? Like Probably. He's probably gonna be the first guy to give it a shot. Like what are we doing here? Like that that's not gonna go well for Emmanuel Mosley. If you've paid attention to mock drafts, the Niners give up the first round pick this year in the whole trade to get Trey Lance. They're, everybody, if you look at mock drafts for the Niners, their first pick, whenever I, I think it's in the second round or third round this year, it's a cornerback almost across the board because everybody knows that the Niners, their cornerback unit is just flaming heap of garbage level. Yeah, so um, Alan Lazard has also really turned into a number two threat. Yeah. I believe he has five touchdowns through the last eight games of the season. Uh I don't see how the secondary slows down Aaron Rodgers. So, but the the Packers offensive line, they get David Bakhtiari back, uh-huh. but Aaron Rodgers has done a good job of managing pressures and not, and being kind of a game manager and not taking sacks all year. But if you have Nick Bosa back in this game and that defensive line is playing like they did last week, I think you can get some pressure on Aaron Rodgers, and that's when things can kind of go your way. I think this is a very close game. I ultimately think the Packers win, but I think it's very close. All right, we will see. All right, slip over and talk tomorrow. Uh, By the way, um, it's fun to look at the Niners' cornerback depth chart. Manuel Mosley, K1 Williams, Diamondo Lenore, Darquez Denard, Josh Norman... Oh, wait, the, the shell of himself. Josh Norman. Ambry Josh Thomas. Norman hasn't been good since about 2016. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware. Ambry <laughs> Thomas and Dante Johnson. That's the cornerback unit for the, for the 49ers. Good luck to San Francisco. All right, uh, let's flip over and talk about tomorrow's games. Uh, in the NFC, you're going to have the Los Angeles Rams at the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think this game, similar to what you were talking about here, Eric, where, where you expect, you're saying 49ers Packers is close. This is a game that if we get the good version of uh, of Matthew Stafford, it'll be a good game. If the Matthew Stafford that has shown up about half the year this year, Tampa Bay is going to run away in a romp, I feel like. Yeah, in an effort to speak better on this program, I took notes today. Oh, look at this. All I right. One hey, note. Flex that paper. Let, let people hear it. I have, <laughs> I have one note on this game. Okay. 
do not pick against Tom Brady. <laughs> well, that's uh, that. That is. I'm not some, picking against that, him. <laughs> that is just a rule that at this point is set in stone for me. I've watched. I've done this long enough. I've watched football long enough uh-huh. to know that if you just pick Tom Brady in the playoffs, and especially in the divisional round, where by the way he is nine and zero. Yeah, like. <laughs> You are going to, at some point, either lose and say, hey, the other team was better, but most of the time you're going to win and you're probably going to end up with a Super Bowl. So as much as I like the Rams' defense, I really think that pass rush is performing at the top of its game right now. I don't think Tampa's offensive line is as good as advertised right now with Tristan Wirfs banged up and Ryan Jensen got dominated inside last week. Mm Mm-hmm. I just think, man, that Tom Brady's going to find a way to pull this thing off, and I trust Tom Brady more than I trust Matthew Stafford. So that's yeah, I'm with I'm you. I'm with you on that. Tom Brady, five thousand three hundred and sixteen yards, forty three touchdowns, almost matching his age at forty four years old in this matchup. He is as good as he has ever been. By the way, the craziest stat of the entire divisional playoffs. Okay. Tom Brady is older than every coach in the NFC. I, I saw that. That that was a bit stunning, actually. I'm like, <laughs> wow. All right. Well, except his head coach, obviously. The other three head coaches. Right. Yeah, because the whole deal with, and by the way, Bruce Arians, don't hit your players in the helmet. That was dumb. He, he, he said he's going to appeal that. I'm like, don't appeal it. Pay the 50 grand and move on. All right. Last one. And uh, David James thinks this is going to be the game of the weekend, and it could be. Uh, it will be. You, oh, you think it will be? Okay. Yeah, the Buffalo be. Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs, the three versus the two seed in the AFC. This one, I think, similar to what we've already talked about, I, I think this whole weekend, I think all of these matchups, all of these matchups have a lot of intrigue, but now you get Josh Allen, one of the young studs, you already mentioned he's one of the top-tier elite passer, I feel like, against maybe the top passer in the league, and I'm including Tom Brady in that statement, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I know it doesn't come down just to quarterbacks, but in this matchup... It comes down to quarterbacks. It comes down to the quarterback play. This is, this is it. This is the best game of a weekend. And it's overhyped, sure, but this should be... Uh, to, to me, this is for who goes to the Super Bowl in the AFC. Because whoever wins this matchup, I'm picking them next week against the Titans or the Bengals. Patrick Mahomes... I'm going to do something stupid and say, I don't know if I buy last week's offensive explosion. The Steelers' corners have been pretty meh. Well, they, all, they, they were slow starting. There's no doubt about that. All year long, until things broke open for them and, and got unmanageable for the Steelers, they, they were able to keep the Chiefs' passing game in front of them. The Bills' defense is much better. That said, I think it's going to be a shootout. I think I can see that. I think we get a lot of points here, but this is just my favorite favorite stat of maybe ever. So last week, when the Bills play the Patriots, there is a, a statistic that measures how many yards are possible for you based on your drives and where drives start. Okay, it was 480 yards for the Buffalo Bills. How many yards did the Buffalo Bills have? 480? Yes. They got every yard available. They got every single possible yard they could have gotten 
It is okay. literally the most efficient game of football ever played last week. And there is a chance Josh Allen comes out and is bad Josh Allen because Josh Allen fluctuates massively. I don't know if anyone's noticed this quite yet or not, but he will have two or three weeks in a row where he looks otherworldly and then one week where he's got like a 50% completion percentage and looks terrible and throws three picks. Look at the Falcons game. I worry that bad Josh Allen could show up here. But I cannot pick against the quarterback that just had the perfect game and and was the honestly the best quarterback performance of the entire year last week. That I I can't pick against that. And I'm also a Broncos fan. And I like Ah, there we go. Here comes the bias. I like that and I like Patrick Mahomes too much. And I don't like that about myself. I don't like that I respect Patrick Mahomes this much. So I've got to pick against him to keep myself honest at least once. I'm going Bills here. And I'm okay. going a high-scoring matchup. I think 49-48. Oh, geez. You think it's like a legit shoot All time. Okay. Okay, so, so your picks, Eric, let me get correct. So Tennessee, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Buffalo. Those four, right? I'm going Bengals. I just wanted to argue for Ryan. Oh, you Taylor. are going Bengals. I am going no, Bengals. No, you. I'm making you pick Tennessee now. After you, fine. <laughs> Titans. <laughs> so I'm going. I got Packers, Bengals. That's my upset. I've, I've got the Bengals beating Tennessee. I've got t- Tampa Bay. I, I'm with you. You don't pick against Tom Brady, especially in the divisional round. And then I'm going Kansas City. Uh, I think. I got too much of Andy Reid, the brain trust of Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Patrick Mahomes. They are special when they work together, and I think the Kansas City. But I'm with you. I think it could be a shootout. There's absolutely no doubt about that. All right, so there you go. Our picks, our look ahead at the divisional round. We'll get more on this from our good friend Lincoln Kennedy. He joins DJ and PK each week. He's been doing it all season long. He talked to David James on Thursday. We'll play that for you guys at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. Coming up next, we are going to get into technical fouls, rewarding people being stupid in sports and beyond. We'll get to all of that. It's still the come on the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. And if you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal foul, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday Show. We are brought to you today by our friends over at Jimmy's Flowers. Valentine's Day is coming soon, my friends. Get the two dozen rose special from our friends at Jimmy's Flowers for just $49.99. They have stores in Bountiful, Layton, or Ogden, or you can order online at Jimmy, jimmysflowers.com. Make sure you order early. We all know that. That's our friends at Jimmy's Flowers. All right, time for technical fouls. Let's talk about some of the stupid things out there in sports. I'm going to start with one here, Eric. I got one that's sports related. I got one that's non-sports related. So we'll start with the sports related one, and this involves the NFL playoffs. Chiefs linebacker Willie Gay, who is I believe he's been kind of a top backup. He hasn't he started in some cases. He was arrested Wednesday night for property damage at an apartment in Overland Park, Kansas, about 20 miles away from Arrowhead Stadium. He was arrested at the home of his son's mother when he got into an argument with her. And what did he do? He broke a vacuum. Classic. 
like most most people I, I it wasn't very didn't somebody was it was it uh what's the broy quarterback's name wasn't it broy quarterback who what uh <laughs> What's uh, what's his face? Uh, the yeah, oh, the team or something. It'll come to me. Colts backup a little while there. Colts Played at Ole Miss. Oh, you're talking about Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly. Chad yes. Kelly. Wasn't Ch- didn't somebody beat Chad Kelly with a vacuum cleaner because he like stumbled yeah, it was into when he was, their house when he was in Denver? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that whole this. But when Willie Gay got arrested, I actually because when you when it says domestic, like you're like okay, you fear the worst. And this is still not a good situation. Let me be very clear about that. But he broke a vacuum. It says uh, quote, no one was touched beyond the broken appliance, according to police. Uh, he was booked on a misdemeanor charge. Of, of destruction of property of less than $1,000. Uh, the damaged property included also a cell phone screen protector, a humidifier, and wall and trim around a door frame. So uh, Willie Gay, prob- I think he, he posted Bond relatively quickly, and I fully expect he will be on the field tomorrow afternoon. That's just how the NFL works, and it, it is what it is. So, all right, so there's one technical foul. Willie Gay, don't behave badly in front of your children first off, and come on, spare the, spare the vacuum cleaner. All right, Eric, what do you got for us? I have an audio uh, one. Ooh, audio. Look at you. Something I pulled from a Utah State game that I thought was pretty funny. Okay. (laughs) We We tend to make them better. Kevin Dorius tried to check in the game without his jersey. First free throws up and good. We've... uh... Where's Trevin Dorn? Did he have to go up the ramp? He left in the locker room there, Scotty. (laughs) Only one thing worse is when you leave your shorts. So yes, Trevin Dorius tried to check into game. Trevin Dorius tried. He to pulled check a Dwight in, Howard. Tried, yeah, tried to check into the Boise State yeah, game on Thir- Thursday night, night yeah. uh, without a jersey on, and had in fact left the jersey in the locker room. Technical foul on him. How do you forget your jersey? It happens more often than you'd think. There have been some NBA players who have gotten to put shorts on underneath their warm-ups in, in game in history. Uh, I believe it was Dwight Howard forgot his jersey. He had to go back to the locker room and get his jersey. It's happened. So, uh, Trevin, yeah, uh, remember your jersey from now on, but at the same time, you're not alone in making that mistake. All right, I got one more before we go here. Eric, um, we're going to go to Mexico here. Uh, a semi-trailer on Tuesday became the first victim of a new tire-popping system when it passed through a Mexico State toll plaza without paying the 162 peso, that's about $8 American uh, toll. 22 of the semi's tires were punctured after it passed through Las Americas toll plaza on the Circuito Exterior Mexiquense, oh man, I, Mexico State Outer Loop Road in Ecatepec without paying the toll, according to a report on Millennio Televisión. The semi traveled to travel on the punctured tires for eight more kilometers past the toll plaza before it was forced to stop. Pay the toll, dude. 22 tires. Hey, he kept on trucking. He did, and he was hell-bent on making not paying that toll, apparently. Eight kilometers, eight kilometers is that's what, a, four miles? Or, yeah. no, three or four miles? That's a little ways. Ten kilometers is 6.2 miles. Oh, it's actually probably closer to five miles. 
Yeah. So we made it a little ways. A little ways. So, yeah. So there you go. Um, in addition to having the vehicle's tires punctured, drivers who fail to pay the applicable toll now face fines of up to 8,500 pesos, which is a $415 American fine, and have to cover the cost of a tow truck if required. And anybody who has seen the big uh, rig haulers that have to tow uh, big rigs, that's a big old vehicle to get out there. So Yeah. 22 tires, all in the same vehicle. So. Uh, technical foul to that semi-driver. All right, coming up next, we'll flip back over to the NFL for a little bit. Lincoln Kennedy joined uh, David James earlier this week. He joins DJ and PK in the morning each week to talk about what's going on in the NFL with the Las Vegas Raiders and when it's uh, college football season. He's also an analyst uh, for the Pac-12 Network, so he's going to weigh in on the divisional round, also the season that the Las Vegas Raiders had. We'll get to all of that. A quick reminder for you guys that our friends over at Mountainland Supply are our title sponsor here on the Saturday show. Love their patronage. You can find more, find out more about them and a location near you by going to mountainland.com. More in a moment right here on the Zone Sports Network. Let's go live! We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and aggies, even on the weekend. Weekend! You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Please don't stop the music. Welcome back to the Saturday Show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hour two of the program underway right now. The Saturday Show is proudly presented by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, we've been talking a lot of Utah jazz, a lot of NFL. We also talked about uh, a semi-driver getting all 22 tires on his truck punctured, uh, but trying to avoid a toll. So, had a fun show so far. And we're going to continue it here in the second hour. Uh, coming up in our next segment, we get to our one of our staples here on the show, Five Minutes Of. We talk about Saki, uh, which we have lovely termed both uh, we kind of meld soccer and hockey together. We'll get to that. Also, need to talk some college hoops as well. So, we'll get to all of that coming up. But now, let's uh, spend some time, I guess more time, on the NFL playoffs and hear from a guy who is in this game. He played at this level. He now calls games. I called a playoff game this past weekend for the Las Vegas Raiders. That's Lincoln Kennedy. Of course, the Raiders radio analyst alongside Brent Musburger. You can hear all of those games right here on the Zone Sports Network. He is also kind enough to join DJ and PK weekly here on the Zone to talk all things football. That was a very good conversation between him and David James on Thursday. We're going to let you hear that conversation now. So here you go. Lincoln Kennedy with David James earlier this week on The Zone. Not so good for the Raiders. Honestly, I, they were stretched in that game. I honestly thought the Raiders were going to do it. Yeah, you know what? It was one of those games where they, they, they hung in there and they gave a great fight just like the, the entire season, but just came up a little bit short in the end. There's a whole theory that you've got to be aggressive and you got to go for touchdowns and field goals don't beat anybody. And that theory took a big hit in that playoff game. Because one of the reasons I thought the Raiders had a shot is when the Bengals had a momentum and everything was going great and they had field position and they were just barely making the play. You know, oh, that's a great catch. But you don't make that catch every possession. They settled for field goals and I thought, they're letting the Raiders hang in there and the football gods will punish you for that. And they ultimately didn't. The Raiders kicked field goals too. Does this take a swipe at everybody who's you got to be aggressive and go for it and go win the game or no? 
No. You know, here's the, here's the thing. I, I think that there are coaches out there that tend to overthink and try to play uh, against or, 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 or you know, uh, what's the best way of saying it, just are, are, are not in the, in the right frame when they, when they talk about momentum or going forward. For example, look at Los Angeles Chargers this past year. Um, when they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs, the second game, um, they left nine points off the board because they yeah. kept going forward on fourth down and came up empty. And that nine points actually came back to haunt them because they ended up going over time and they lost by a touchdown. So I think that you have to play smart and don't overthink things. But there are times where you can be aggressive and there are times where you just have to take what, what, you know, what, what the football guys have given you at that point. It's become a big deal about how the TV crew handled the inadvertent whistle. And they said that they heard it. Now, they got headsets on and they got mics all over the field. I'm not sure that you have that same thing. And if you do, not to the same degree. I've called basketball games which is obviously a smaller environment. Right. And depending on the arena, you can be closer to the floor. But I've called it where I've heard a whistle but wasn't sure if it came from the floor or the stands. And I found that confusing. And so I, I get how people get confused broadcasting and even how players get confused not knowing where the whistle came from and can stop. But when it ultimately turns out that it was a referee's whistle, I forget all that and I think, dude, do you not know when to blow your whistle? Right. That wasn't close. There are situations where there could be an inadvertent whistle. That wasn't close. Yeah, and the, the thing was is that we didn't hear it in the broadcast booth until we got the report from the TV crew what, what had happened. And the thing was, you know, look, I understand mistakes happen. Human error happens. I don't have a problem with that. But in this day and age, when we have the technology and we have the things that are available at our disposal, just wanted to get it right. Whether it's the replay, you see what happened, you, you slow it down, you, you just want to get it right. The, the, I'm not saying that the, the Bengals wouldn't have scored. I'm not saying that that would have changed the outcome. But you can ill afford in a playoff game when you're really the only game that's being played at that time and being watched by everybody who's a football fan or a sports fan, period. You can ill afford to have a mistake that resonates like that and not be able to do something about it or correct it. So my, my point is, is this, is that an inadvertent whistle, oh, they blew the whistle, they, they, okay, so according to the rules, you got to replay it down. The, the, the play is dead, dead you got to replay it down. Go replay it down. That's just it. Go, go replay it down over and over again. Don't just move on. After you realize that there was a mistake, you understand your mistake. You know, it happens. Okay, well, let's, let's correct it. Let's just, let, let's just get it right. Don't ignore it like it didn't happen. And that's one of the things, the reason why uh, there were reports that that, that, that uh, officiating crew isn't working anymore playoff games because that was a big mistake that they just let go. They shouldn't be working anymore playoff games. <laughs> I mean, they shouldn't, you're, because you're right. You're 100% right. It might not have changed the outcome of the game. Bengals might have scored it on the next play or on the replay, and they could have won right. the game anyway. They might have settled for a field goal right. and still won the game. So it's not whining about that. It's just when I'm watching football, I'm, if you're refereeing at this level, you have to know you can't blow the whistle then. Sure. You, just, you have to know that. And if you do, you can't be rewarded with another playoff game. 
You can't. I, I totally agree. hundred percent. Totally agree. So Besides, that's that's the same crew that, that worked a, a game earlier. This a little side note: that crew worked. A, well, the the re- main referee Boger worked a, a game earlier this year um, in Las Vegas, and at the coin toss, he said the Oakland Raiders will choose to defer the kick. And it's like in Las Vegas, I'm like, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me! So <laughs> I find that stuff hilarious. But you know, I'm a San Diego Charger fan. I got my feelings yeah. hurt when they went to LA, and so every time somebody slips. Uh, Michael Wilbon did it on PTI. He said, the Raiders, you know, they got that weather out there in California. And when he was done, Tony said, well, number one, they're not in California. California, And number two, don't ever bring up the weather because they play in a dome in Vegas. So, you know, Wilbon was like, ah! You know, everybody's making that mistake. The uh, not this current coach, but the previous coach when he was introduced in LA, they just moved there, and he said San Diego Chargers. Did he? Yeah, yeah. in his press conference. And I thought, well, it was when, when I was doing radio for years, and, and, and then uh, I had I had the hardest time saying the Los Angeles Chargers. I would say San Diego every time because growing up in San Diego, I was always used to them being the Chargers. San Diego Chargers. It was. It is what it is. Yep. All right, so the playoffs continue now, and uh, PK will always say, you're going to pick the team with the best quarterback. Well, why would you pick against the best quarterback in such a (laughs) quarterback-dominant league? And the one reason to do that is the young guys getting experience. Now, we have seen young guys win Super Bowls, but also it's been very hard for them to do that the first time they're in the playoffs. You know, the first time Mahomes was in the playoffs, they lost to the Patriots in the AFC title game. Then they went to two Super Bowls and won the first one. So I'm curious if you think... Joe Burr, he looks like a guy who's going to win a Super Bowl one day, right. which is a difficult thing to guarantee, but it does look probable. But do you think he can do it right now? Should we be looking at the Bengals as a Super Bowl contender right now? I don't think they're strong enough right now. Um, they've got some holes, especially on the defensive side. They've got some holes that I don't know if they can overcome, uh, especially looking at some of the AFC teams. But when you look at the when you look at what what, what Joe Burrow has at his disposal, uh, I knew in the the last week's game the Raiders did not have an answer for Jamar Chase. the The fact is is that the the way the Raiders play defense. Um, they they put you know a different corner in the boundary, whether it was Brandon Faison or Desmond Trufant. Each time the Bengals went after that boundary corner with Jamar Chase or another receiver, and they, they and they didn't have an answer. They, there was no way they could stop it. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the same case going forward for the Bengals. So I think that they're close. I think they're a good team. It's good for the city, you know, after 30 years finally winning a playoff game. Um, and it was a great environment, a great atmosphere. But I, I don't. I, I think the road ends soon for the. For the Bengals, and it'll be this weekend. The other AFC playoff game, super intrigue. Oh wait, I, before, before we go any further, yeah. Do you think it ends? The, it ends this weekend. Uh, how are they going to? Is Tannehill going to sling it and going to be the man and just drop back and beat him and, and pick on the matchups that you're talking about, or do you actually expect a guy with a plate in his foot to go out and run for a hundred yards? I expect them to rely heavily, or at least see what he can do. Um, you're not really going to get away from who you are. Defensive-wise, defensively, I think the Titans have done a good job at playing better throughout the year, uh, despite not having their, you know, their, their big running back. But now that he's back, I think they're going to rely heavily on him to see what he can do or how he can help going forward. All right, Derrick Henry, when I heard him say he still had a plate in his foot, I thought, you're going to play in an NFL playoff game with a plate in your foot. I can't wait to see how this looks. He is so good, but a plate in your foot, that sounds like a major problem. 
Yeah, you, you know what? It, 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 anyone's guess when you come back from that type of injury to see how a running yeah. back is going to do, I think it, it weighs heavily for the Titans going forward because, uh, you know, the, the fact that they're the number one seed and they played the way they did and got what they uh, achieved without Derrick Henry was a surprise. I kind of wrote them off when he went down with the injury. But, you know, give give Coach uh, Vrabel the credit due because he found a way to rally his team and, and get them playing some smart football. They're, they're a pretty good team. I don't necessarily think they're the best team in the AFC, but I think they're a really good one. And at home, I like the, their momentum. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, joining us. So, Chiefs Bills, who do you have? Um, I like the Bills this time. I think that, you know, last year when you watched the Chiefs-Bills game in the AFC Championship, one of the biggest things that Joshua Allen struggled with was reading defenses. This year, he's been much better prepared. Uh, Dable uh, did a great job with him this season on how to read and recognize defenses. And he's just one of those guys that's going to take it upon himself, like a Patrick Mahomes, to make the plays when it comes. When it comes. The difference is the defensive side of the ball. I think the Bills' defense is much better than the Chiefs' defense, so I like the Bills. Now, you've been down on the Chiefs all year, and you've talked about you know the extra hangover playoff games, the hangover yep. from losing the Super Bowl, and they've had some key personnel turnover in the middle of this run. Yes, the coach and quarterback have stayed in place, but not everybody else has. I'm curious if, the, if they break through and beat the Bills here, will you finally get on the Chiefs, or will you just keep picking against them every week? No, no. So you know what? It, look, I, I, I will admit when I was wrong. I thought there was going to be a Super Bowl hangover. I think one of the biggest things they did right was they got themselves Melvin Ingram on defense, which really helped out. Um, you watched that Denver game. Denver had him until Ingram made that play and fumbled for a touchdown. Uh, I don't know how you don't block a defensive end on a run play, but, hey, that's, <laughs> that's a, the Broncos' problem. Um, but when, it, when it's all said and done, the Chiefs are still good because they've got a quarterback, they've got a system that can generate points, and everyone's intimidated by them. So much of your point that you started with the, the first interview about, you know, field goals aren't going to win, you got to score touchdowns, that's sort of been the mindset in the AFC, especially when you play against that team. And it's harder to do than people give credit for. It's harder to get touchdowns. Sometimes you just have to play the percentages and hope that your defense can get a stop or get a turnover or maybe even get lucky like they did in that Broncos game. But the, the fact fact is, is that the Chiefs are a good football team. They've turned the corner. They find it, found a way to write their defense in a way to where they can they can still give their offense the, the slight edge. Um, if they're able to overcome this game against the Bills, I've been high on the Bills all season. If they've been able, if they can overcome the Bills, then I think they deserve another shot at the, in, in the Super Bowl, and I think they'll probably end up getting it. Some people pick NFL games and they do the pools and they use the confidence points where you're not just picking the games, but you're ranking them. And you put the right. most points on the game you have the most confidence in. So this week, if there were there's four games, so there'd be uh, I'd put four points on the Packers beating the Niners. I go on the radio and make definitive statements and far too often it comes back to bite me and PK and y'all get to <laughs> laugh at me and mock me. But I don't see how the Niners win this game against the Packers unless they get a bunch of turnovers, and that's what the Packers don't do. Rodgers, 37 touchdown passes, only four interceptions. Best in the league. That's that's it. So how do the Niners win this game? Do they just have to turn that pass rush loose because that's their most elite unit? That's where their advantage usually is. And if the front four dominates, they win, and otherwise they get beat. Time of possession. Controlling the clock. Good old-fashioned football tends to win in a playoff season like this when you're able to run the football. The fact that the 49ers are a run-first team really aids them and, and, and helps them. If the Packers don't have an answer to contain the run of the 49ers, the 49ers should control the clock and keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline most of the day. So Debo, yeah. throw him short passes, hand him the ball. 
run the clock. Use it. Use everything that you can to, to matriculate your way down the field, nice. take your time, and still find a way to score touchdowns. That puts the pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Not that he can't handle it, especially when his offense is capable, but if you put them in a pass-first situation where they have to keep up, then the advantage goes to your defensive front where you can generate pressure with your front four because your secondary is a, a weakness that can be exposed. I love that when you drop and matriculate right there. That just tells me <laughs> you're probably late 40s, early 50s. I mean, I know you're 50, but you're yeah, late yeah. 40s, early 50s. <laughs> you watched NFL films because you love football and when games weren't on and you saw – the coach mic'd up during the Super Bowl, Hank Stram. Matriculate the ball down the field, guys. That's right. True story. True story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Bucks and the Rams, super intriguing. The Rams, they've got the talent to beat anybody, but that means you have to pick against Tom Brady, and that probably makes the average gambler break out in a cold sweat. Yeah, how about that? Um, you know, I early this year when uh, Stafford went to the Rams, I, I remember one of the things I did is I, I went to my, my Vegas my Vegas friend and I put down a hundred dollars on twenty seven to one odds that the Rams would be in the NFC championship. <laughs> And they're that close. And the reason why, because I said the Rams were going to do go all out, do whatever they could. They want. They have a Super Bowl filling team right now. They needed a quarterback. And I thought that when the Lions gave up Stafford, that's all they needed. With Stafford's ability, you know, that he's thrown picks and he's he's kept them down. They haven't been as as favored as they should have been. But they're still a good football team. And you saw what they did against the Cardinals. With that being said, I don't know if it's going to be enough to to beat even a depleted Bucks team. They really have to have a great game. More importantly, Stafford can't afford to throw interceptions. And if we've seen anything out of Todd Bowles over the last couple of years, his defense has been ready to answer the challenge. So with that being said, I, I hope the Rams win for my wallet's sake. I just don't know if they can. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Lincoln Kennedy. and I, I love Lincoln. So much personality. He breaks it down and brings it down to the to the base level. This is a guy. Uh, so, Eric, I don't know if you do you have you heard Lincoln much this year with DJ and PK. I don't know if you have, but he, no. But I'm I mean I'm you, familiar with you, his work. You've done the you've done the Raiders, Raiders game, but it, yeah. So he came on. So this was so last week. So right before the wild card games, and DJ uh, brings up the fact that the Cincinnati Las Vegas Raiders game. And they just broke down the Raiders season that loss in the wild card to Cincinnati about how the fact that Cincinnati hadn't won a game in 31 years, hadn't won a playoff game in 31 years, and also DJ brought up the fact that it had been 19 years since the Raiders had won a playoff game. Well. Lincoln comes on immediately afterwards like, guys, I don't mean to date myself, but I was playing for that Raiders team the last time we won in the playoffs. He's great. He is fantastic. And I love having him on. He's become a really good friend. He's a great, great dude. I've had some really good thoughts on the playoffs. All right, um, so Eric, we, we already kind of went through our picks here, but you mentioned something earlier on that, that intrigued me. You think that one side of the AFC bracket is destined – to make the Super Bowl, and you think it's the winner of the of the Bills Chiefs? You think it's no contest? They're just going to roll through to the Super Bowl? Yeah, roll through is a strong word, strong way of putting it. Okay, but I like the chances of the Bills or the Chiefs against the Titans or the Bengals uh, much better than I like 
the Titans or Bengals chances. Okay. I think the Titans could get there if things really break their way. If Derrick Henry is all the way back and is crazy good, I think the Titans could get there. Well, that that would throw a wrench in everybody's thinking, I think. But we don't know if that's that's the case yet, and I really do think... If Patrick Mahomes gets back to the AFC Conference Championship game, he's got, not going to let that moment pass him by. He's proven that already that once he gets to that game, he locks into a different level. And if Josh Allen gets there, it's been so long since Buffalo's been in the Super Bowl, like it, they are going to be locked in. And, they went four straight years in the 90s, and they haven't been back since. Yep. And I think they'll be locked in, and they'll they'll try they'll okay. likely get back. I like that. I, I actually kind of okay. I, I I just wanted to know kind of more what your thought process, is, but I, I respect it. I think everything you got some well thought out uh, reasoning behind all that. I don't think I don't think Joe Burrow. I I really do believe in playoff experience. Well, Cincinnati's not there yet. Yeah, like Cincinnati needs playoff experience. Uh-huh. Like this is going to be good for playoff experience and if they get the upset today if they beat the titans that'll be great that'll add another another dimension to it but they are not the caliber of roster that the chiefs and the bills are all around yeah so if it's the Bengals, i i don't think there's a chance and the titans maybe it's like a little bit higher but i i feel like the bills or the chiefs are are gonna go to the super bowl from the afc I, I and I can see that, and I I probably I, I tend to agree with your your thought process there because I'm with you. Cincinnati they may win today, but I'm with you. They just they're not yeah at the level that they need to be at to be a Super Bowl caliber winning team yet. They got great foundational pieces. It's good to have a quarterback and wide receiver like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, but they got to get the other stuff around them. So interesting thoughts. All right, so there you go. Thank you to Lincoln Kennedy. Thank you to DJ and PK for letting us use that audio. And I say that because I produce that show so I can take whatever I want from that show. I do the work on it, so good times. All right, coming up next, we'll get to five minutes of, hit on some of the topics we have not had a chance to touch on quite yet today. We're going to get to Saki, some college hoop. We'll get to all of that coming up next right here on the Saturday show. Weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. J Lo, it's a new generation. Mr. Worldwide. You need to say that on air sometime. That's really cool. <laughs> I was just saying as we've come in this moment, I have not heard this version. I haven't heard Pitbull in a hot minute, so I like it. All right. Eric going with more of a hip-hop, like Latin character. I like it. Okay, okay. I can respect that. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Thanks for joining us, everybody, here on this Saturday. I want to remind you guys that if you didn't know this, Valentine's Day is coming very soon. Take care of that special someone in your life with flowers from Jimmy's Flowers. Order early for the best selection at jimmysflowers.com or visit their stores in Bountiful, Layton, or Ogden. That's our friends at Jimmy's Flowers. They've been with The Zone. I've been doing radio now for over a decade. Crazy to think about. Jimmy's Flowers has been part of what my radio career has been 
that entire time, if not, and it's been longer than that. So they are a great, great sponsor here on the station. All right, uh, let's get to five minutes of here, and this the whole idea behind this segment, if you're just checking us out for the first time, is for us to hit on the other topics and other sports stories that we have not had a chance to touch on quite yet today. We spent a uh, large amount of the time on the Utah Jazz as well as the NFL playoffs, as you would expect. But let's talk a little bit more about what's going on in other sports, and let's get to one of our staples here in five minutes of, and that is what we lovingly refer to as Saki. pass and Schotter goes on and he's dangerous and he scores with a miss hit shot Diogo Jota puts Liverpool in front in this semi-final completely against the run of play in the first 17-18 minutes of the game average in the same percentage are better than the all-star Talbot Adams with the draw again here's McCarr back to McKinnon one-timer shape I can't get a rebound Score! Norwich have it back. McLean. Well, Kuki didn't get the ball he wanted, but he's got it back here. Oh! Extraordinary! From Sargent, and it did cross the line. An astonishing finish via the crossbar. And what a vital goal it could prove to be for Norwich. Final touch on Chelsea's over in the Carabao Cup semi final as well. Lookman, Dakar, Lookman, and Dakar! Well, totally against the run of play. Now Antonio Conte ruining the missed chances. But Patson Dakar strikes. And the roof lifts off the King Power Stadium. The tank. Green is set in front. Malkin with it now. Malkin. Russ. Cross ice and Crosby with the power play goal. And the Penguins will continue on the power play. Crosby second of the night. It's Hurdle. Across for Meyer. Toe drag. He did it! There you go, the open where we meld both soccer and hockey. And Eric, uh, that five goal performance in NHL, I didn't know how rare that was. Uh, so can can you help? Okay, I feel like I represent most people in the state where hockey is not necessarily the sport they pay attention to slash know much about. But how rare is it to have a five goal game in NHL history? A Lemieux. <laughs> Uh, indeed. Uh, very rare. Okay. I, I mean, even the you know, you see guys like Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon, guys we talk about on this program as being some of the best hockey players Elite. in the world, yeah. come out and and they might have five points in a night, but it is very rare that you see a player come out and score five goals. It's just. 
it's unheard of. I mean, you look at how rare of a hat trick is in the NHL. It, you know, it it only happens for those best players maybe five, six times a year. You get a hat trick, and to get a hat trick plus two more is it's crazy. And it's you know, it speaks that that clip speaks to how rare it is because the San Jose Sharks mm-hmm. been around for a while now. Been around sure. since you know the the late eighties and. They have not had a franchise player score five goals in 31 years, and the fact that Timo Meyer was able to do it's pretty impressive. Yeah. All right. Where else? What else we got going on in the hockey world? My Seattle Kraken actually won, you know, back-to-back games. That was kind of fun. But other than that, they suck. <laughs> yeah. A uh, lot of great saves associated with the Seattle Kraken. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury with an incredible glove mm-hmm. save the other night. Philip Grubauer with a great blocker slave, uh, save. Uh, save. Tongue twisted all the time. Uh, Great goaltending by both those guys. Um, you know, NHL is weird because it's kind of a steady stream of just marching along. Things feel sure. like you know it's very much like the NBA season. We're in we're in the doldrums of winter, and a lot's happening, but a lot has stayed the same status quo wise. You know, the Avalanche remain very good and and kind of the top of the Western Conference. Uh, In the Eastern Conference, the Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning remain very good, are playing good hockey right now. Pittsburgh's coming on. That's that's a story to watch. To me, that's that's the biggest story. Sidney Crosby scored a hat trick last night. Sidney Crosby is, I believe, let me just check his age here. I want to say Sid, the kid's my age, I think. Close to 40. Sid Sidney Crosby? Yeah. He's my age. He's 34, 35. Sidney Crosby. He's born in 87. He's born in the same year as me if I'm not mistaken. You are right, 34 years old. So, not as old as I thought, but still, 34 years Sid's old. Sid's been playing since he was 19, 19. in NHL. So, yeah. he's he's ancient by NHL right. standard of how long he's been playing for. Right. But it's it's crazy that he and guys like Alex Ovechkin, sure. who's, Obi, who's, yeah. who's pushing 40. Obi's 37 this, now, I think. Uh, who's pushing 40 at yeah. this point, are, are still incredible players and at the top of their game night in and night out, so... Yeah, absolutely. All right, on the soccer side of things, real quick here, uh, Major League Soccer is back in preseason action. I guess training camp, uh, Real Salt Lake returned to training camp earlier this week. Uh, They had, what, a good seven weeks off, and they're right back at it. Uh, They will be opening the season next month, crazily enough. I know it's the end of next month, but still, uh, we have MLS action beginning in February. Uh, Real Salt Lake, uh, according to reports out there, Demir Krylock is the new team captain for Real Salt Lake after Albert Rusnok's uh, departure for Seattle. Shouldn't be all that surprising because Domi has become, I think, one of the top five players in franchise history already. Yeah. It's crazy. He was getting MVP consideration last As year at one point. Yeah, uh, pretty much one of the only good players on the roster. It's gonna be an interesting year. There's a lot of young guys. Axel Kai, uh, who they just signed from the academy, six foot four, fourteen year old, broke Freddie Adu's record for the youngest player to sign a professional contract in uh, soccer history. So. Yeah, to steal uh, MLS Extra Time Radio's terminology, the 
RSL strategy seems to be to play your kids. So mm. we're gonna we're gonna see what that looks like. Literally kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing about it. Axel Kai, fourteen year old, he's already six foot four. Crazy wow. to think he he's crazy. he's a pretty elite talent. If you believe people talk, I mean, they've signed a number of other guys out of that academy who are 14, 15, 16 years old, and yeah, they're going in, all in on this on this youth movement. They do have some established veterans. We already talked about Dom, you got Diego Rubio, uh, not Diego. Diego Rubio, Rubio Rubin, excuse me, ah, that was a gaffe. Uh, he is up top along with Bobby Wood at the forward spots. Justin Glad, who's a former academy prospect himself, holding on that back line. Marcelo Silva, Aaron Herrera still there. There's some established veterans, but behind them, it is very, very young. Now, one other thing on the soccer front, Eric. Did you see this about uh, Las Vegas reportedly looking at yes. getting an MLS franchise? Yep. So Major League Soccer has entered an exclusive talks with Aston Villa co-owners Wes Edens and Nassif Sawiris. So I'm going to pronounce that correctly. But securing the rights to bring an MLS expansion team to Las Vegas was announced on Friday. The news first appeared in the Las Vegas Review Journal, which, by the way, the LVRJ does an incredible job covering all things sports down there. Uh, Edens is the co-owner of the NBA champion Milwaukee Bulls. Bucks. Uh, so this would be an interesting thing. They're saying that they would have to obviously build a stadium and also be have the capability of playing indoors. Commissioner Don Garber said that's a requirement for a team if they were to play in Las Vegas. All told, the entire cost of a stadium, expansion fee, and other startup costs, which would probably include uh, practice facility, all that stuff, would be a, approximately a cool $1 billion with a B. That's a lot. So interesting. I'd, I'd like to ask you a question okay. about that, about Vegas. Yeah. When is VNBA getting involved? Because that, it feels like yeah. that's where the last kind of bastion before they, because they're already becoming a major sports market. They, they have are. an NHL team, they have an NFL franchise. WNBA's in there. NFL's the king of everything. So if you have a franchise, you're pretty much on the map. Yeah. But. It just feels like the NBA already does so much stuff there. They play summer league there. There's all kinds of conference championship basketball tournaments there. Las Vegas Aces and the WNBA play there already. Yeah, they have the stadiums. They have the infrastructure. Arena. Like, I don't... When are are we getting an NBA team in Vegas? I think uh, when... Okay, at this point, it's when I think that the NBA expands. There are two markets I think that they should look at. This is just my personal opinion. I think one of them the NBA is going to do is Las Vegas. I think Las Vegas will get an expansion franchise. I think they're going to go to 32. Uh, and I'm hopeful, this is just my personal opinion on this, that Las Vegas and then Vancouver gets a franchise again. Give Vancouver an NBA franchise. Have another anchor in Canada and put it back in Vancouver. It's unfortunate the Grizzlies were forced to move or decided to move when they did, moving to Memphis. But if I'm Memphis, I'd actually rebrand and give the Grizzlies back to Vancouver. Those uniforms are elite. I know they picked Bryant Big Country Reeves, and that kind of pretended the demise of that Vancouver franchise back in the day. But I am hopeful that when the NBA decides to expand, it's two teams here in the Western United States. Las Vegas absolutely needs to be one. Oh, and by the way, there's a certain other franchise out there called the Seattle Supersonics that have been ripped away from their fan base. I would love to see Seattle back. I just think that if you want to continue to build what you're building in Canada, you need to have another Canadian team, so I want to see Vancouver. That's just me. Yeah. And I just think the way the NBA is trending towards their wild acceptance of sports gambling, Vegas just makes too much sense. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, but Real quick on that Las Vegas front with the MLS, uh, 
Edens and Swears were behind a group who actually filed this past June a trademark to the name, so it would be in June of 2021, trademark to the name, quote, the Las Vegas Villains. Being owners of Aston Villa, that works. I kind of like that. Las Vegas Villains, because it works with the seedy underside of Las Vegas's history. And what? Well, one last thing. Okay. I know our listeners might not care, but Aston Villa, a little connection, mm-hmm. the Premier League. It is crazy how within a month we have blinked and suddenly Manchester City is like 11 points clear. Have we really been surprised, though? No, but (laughs) it's just crazy how quickly that happens. It felt like Liverpool had a legitimate shot like a month ago, and Uh now it's it's over. Like the title race is over, Yeah, which is one of the downsides of playing in a a top-heavy table format like that but it's it feels like the premier league is going the way over. yeah the premier league is kind of going the way it feels like of what the german bundesliga deals with bayern munich and also the la liga in spain deals with both real madrid and barca uh, barcelona but i don't know maybe i'm wrong about that all right uh one other thing before we go here in five minutes i want to talk some college hoop uh utah gave ucla everything they could handle the other night i was actually very impressed with utah's uh, fight in that game against the ninth ranked bruins uh but they did fall in the end Utah dropping to 8 and 11 on the year. They are 1 and 8, anchored to the bottom of the Pac 12, unfortunately. The, the impressive part is this team has not given up. That is what I like about what I'm seeing from the running Utes. They do welcome USC to the Huntsman Center this afternoon. That'll be at 4.30 p.m. Mountain Time, the tip-off on the Pac-12 network. We'll see how the Utes uh, respond after that near uh, upset of UCLA if they can get back and get USC. This USC team is really, really good. So Probably better than UCLA. You think so? Yeah. I oh. think USC is like... They have that hiccup against Oregon. Sure. But, yeah. but Oregon's beating everybody right now. But Oregon's playing good, too. BYU's I mean, very happy they have a 37-point win over Oregon. Yeah, I, I, can tell I, you that I, would, I would say, I, I, to me, the Pac-12 basketball hierarchy right now goes USC, UCLA, Oregon. Okay. All right. And then it's just a mess. I don't even know if they're going to get more than three bids in, but... We'll see, uh, but it's it's not it's not a great conference. Uh, BYU, who this is just my personal opinion. I know that the Big Sky with SUU and Weber, they're expected to be in contention to make the NCAA tournament. It appears, for all intents and purposes, that BYU could be the lone team representing this state in the NCAA tournament yep. come March. Uh, Cougars sitting at sixteen and four on the season. They are four and one in West Coast Conference play. They welcome Portland to the Marriott Center tonight, seven o'clock Mountain Time on BYU TV uh, to show you the disparity between the pilots who are 10 and 8 on the season and the Cougars. Do you know what the line is currently for this game, Eric? Give me a guess. 25. 20. BYU a 20-point favorite in this one. Uh, for example, just for comparison's sake, USC at Utah, the line is USC minus 5.5. So. Part of me uh, with this BYU team gets a little concerned that they beat up against the bad teams but kind of struggle when they play higher class counterpoint uh, you know opponents the west coast conference currently has four top 40 teams that is true BYU just played the other three in a week and a half span. They played St. Mary's at home, went to Gonzaga, went to USF. They went 2 and 1 in those games. I was very impressed with that. I want to see them 
I feel like there have been moments this year where on their losses, there are a few like head scratchers. Well, in their wins, there's been head scratchers. Uh, yeah. This is well, not a pretty BYU team. Let me be very clear. Yeah, about that. I know. I just want to see like beat up, beat up on Portland State and beat up on Pacific back to back. Yeah. But, San Diego, yeah, but huh? you are right. This, unfortunately, I've come to. I we can move to Utah State now. I, I've come to a realization. Do we need to talk about Utah State? The fact that they can't. I've seemingly get over the. Hump I've come to a game. realization. Some people think they're terrible. I don't think that's the case. We're talking about the Aggies or the Cougars. The Aggies. Okay. I think what we have stumbled upon is the Aggies have gone from an elite Mountain West Conference team to a middling one. This is a middle of the pack. This is a first year of, the, of a new coaching right. staff. That is true, but let's just talk about this year. Okay, It's a middle of a pack team Sure, that has a problem in that it doesn't have a guy yet that, that like entirely steps up in clutch time all the time. It doesn't have a Sam Merrill. It doesn't have a Namiya Shkade. Put some respect on Justin Bean's now, name. I do like Justin Bean. You're going to have not, Aggie fans coming at you know, in droves. I know, but I, I'm. <laughs> there are things about this Aggie team that annoy me. Like the fact that they, they talk about defensive struggles for the Jazz. Almost every single one of these losses that they've had Late has yeah. come on guys missing rotations and late threes being hit on them. Boise State, they lost that game. The guy had not made a shot in that game. Right. They missed it. You're you talking about, I think, wasn't it a missed rotation? Fresno, Fresno, there was a missed rotation. CSU, there was a missed rotation. Yeah. It has not always looked pretty. They are too well coached to continue losing like this. I believe in Ryan Odom and the coaching staff there. Mm-hmm. But they've, you know, they have a very tough opponent in San Diego State on Wednesday night. Correct. And then things ease up a little bit. They have a, a stretch of Air Force, UNLV, Nevada. Now, the I'm issue with the issue there, they lost to Air Force. <laughs> so, uh if they s- somehow go through that stretch, at one and two, oh boy, that things are things are not going to go well because, yeah. and unfortunately, unless they win the Mountain West title, they have kind of walked themselves out of being in any postseason competitions. Maybe they get to the CIT, but yeah, maybe so. So who, yeah, who so knows? A big opportunity for them. BYU Portland tonight, seven o'clock. I'm with you. BYU needs to beat up on the pilots. Uh, uh, Shante Legans, the new head coach of Portland, done a good job re- getting that program back to what it is even is right now because Portland was awful, and I mean awful, awful, awful uh, under their former head coach Terry Porter. So he's done a decent job getting them above 500. Utah, big opportunity here against USC once again, 4.30 p.m. Mountain Time on the Pac-12 Network. Other local teams in action, in case you are wondering, uh, Dixie State and Utah Valley are in action in WAC play. Dixie hosting UT Rio Grande Valley in in St. George, 7 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Utah Valley hosts Lamar, who is a healthy 2-16 and 16 on the year. Oof. Uh, that's at 2 o'clock on ESPN+, and then Southern Utah hosts Idaho State at 2 o'clock, also on ESPN+. The Thunderbirds off to a 10-5 and start this season. So there you go. College Hoop, and we are over time now, so we'll come back, get some feedback in, and see what Eric might have to, you know, 
have some fun as we go out the door. This is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. Weekend! You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show. Thank you for joining us here on this Saturday. It's probably presented by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC, parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right. As we go out the door here, Eric normally uh, has something that roasts me, but uh, Eric, you struck a nerve with one of our listeners today. Oh, I'm glad. (laughs) So this is coming on you today. Okay. Our good friend, uh, Clint O'Pete, uh, Clintonite. Uh, Clint, are you ever going to get your Twitter, actual Twitter account back, I hope? Uh, he had his other one suspended. Uh, you can tweet at me, uh, Clint. But uh, he brought this up earlier on when we were talking about the NFL playoffs. Uh, is this another quip about me being too young? Uh, no, so like Clint O'Pete. So this, there, there are a few tweets here, Eric. First one, this one comes when we were talking about when we were making our picks earlier on. It says, tell Eric to lay off the sauce. Uh, and I knew what his reference was immediately because he's talking about your hot take about our good friend, uh, or I guess your good friend, uh, Ryan Tannehill being a top 10 adjacent quarterback. He is a top 10 adjacent <laughs> quarterback. That is the exact <laughs> correct language. So later on in the show, I, I continue here. This is about tw- this is 21 minutes ago. Uh, Clint O'Pete sends this in here. Ryan Tannehill could score five goals. Hashtag solid, solidly mediocre. We're talking about the five goals, uh, uh, was it who was it for the Sharks? The Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer. And then uh, this, you know what BYU needs? Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> Lots of Ryan Tannehill slander. I personally won't stand for it. Clint O'Pete having some fun with you today. Uh, so there you go. Uh, sure. One other one before we go here, and this one comes from a good friend, Osteo Masses versus Detroit. Joe Ingles ended with a minus eleven worst on the team. Oof. He says that uh, Quinn should be lectured by Ainge or Ryan. Speaking of Ryan Smith, the owner, on how to develop players and use rotation. Excellence should be enforced. Subpar play should be benched. Okay. Uh, it finishes it with hashtag play Pascal, hashtag emancipate Elijah, hashtag Utah Jazz. Okay, anyways, Austin Math, here's the deal. I hate to say this, but Joe Ingles has been a very proud member of this franchise since the day that he arrived here, and he's been a key part of the rotation. Is he shooting well right now? No. Is he struggling? Yes. I think it's objectively easy to say, and you can watch the games and say that. The other issue is you're saying that you want to insert Eric Paschal or Elijah Hughes into Joe Ingles' spot. The one thing neither of them have that Joe Ingles has is the ability to initiate this offense. He is a point forward in every sense of the word. He initiates this offense. He is kind of that off-ball guard when either Mike Conley and or Donovan Mitchell are on the court. And Right now, Donovan Mitchell is not available. So you'd be taking off one of the few guys who is able to initiate your offense, and I guess in theory you'd find a guy who could do that, but what are you going to do in the interim? Are you going to go find equal value for Joe Ingles in the interim? I don't think you are. So I get what you're saying, but at the same time, you're asking for something that you're not doing like for like. And you have to have like for like, I feel like, in this circumstance, especially considering you're dealing with these injury concerns right now when one of your primary ball handlers and maybe your best player in Don Mitchell, he's one of the two, 
best players on this team is unavailable. So, and also, if you're, and I know that the people who respond would say that, well, you need Joe Ingles, you trade him. Well, guess what? The only way to get trade value for Joe Ingles is to have him on the court and show what he can do. So, I don't know. Hopefully that helps clear some things up. But at the same time, I, I disagree with that take. Let's just put it that way. All right. That's going to do it for today's edition of the Saturday Show. A huge thank you to all of you for tuning in. You can find anything you missed on this show. We put it on our Twitter feed. Just search out The Saturday Show. It should be popping up in your podcast provider of choice. Uh, for Eric, I'm Jake. A big thank you once again for joining us. We'll be back next week on Saturday, right here on The Saturday Show on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and The Zone Sports Network. See you.